Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. It's the games podcast where the Pixel Sift team sits down and talks through the games they've been playing at the moment. Sometimes it's a big blockbuster, and other times we dig deep into interesting indie releases that have crossed our radar. My name is Adam Christou, and joining me is games writer and journalist and Pixel Sift contributor, Nicholas Kennedy. Hi, how you doing? So what have you been playing? Um, I've been playing Black Book, which is sort of like a 19th century Russian card battling witch simulator i love all those adjectives i'm really excited i've been playing a game that's also loaded with adjectives i've been playing the top-down cyberpunk twin stick shooter action rpg i feel like i have to take a big breath after getting that all out it's called the ascent um but let's jump right in this is mainstream by pixel sift right nick Tell me about yes. Black Book. What is this game? Everything I want to know. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's extremely, it's a really interesting game for sure. Um, I only heard about it after it was talked about on the Waypoint podcast, um, Vice's Waypoint podcast, um, maybe like three or four, or maybe more months ago, and and it did have a, a demo in the the Steam summer sale. I think, if I recall correctly, was that the one? It was like an absolute metric ton of um demos in that one and i didn't even get through all the ones that i downloaded but anyway black book came on my radar after that demo and the mention on waypoint and and basically it's a game developed by a studio called morteshka and they're based in russia they're a team of like five people um mostly programmers and then a single artist and it's essentially an rpg adventure game actually set in the same region as the developers in a city called perm and i think that the region, as it's referred to in the game, is called Cherwin or Cherdin, I think it is. Um, but basically, it's that region, but as it existed in the late 19th century. So we're talking like 1800s, pre-Russian Revolution, um, but still a time where the sort of political and cultural identity of Russia is shifting and changing a lot. And your primary view into that is in the way in which you know rural communities mix religions and belief. Because the way that like Christian orthodoxy kind of spread through Russia was not clean by any means. It like had a lot of paganism to um, also enmesh itself with and a lot of people that already had cultures and beliefs. So you're sort of right at the center of that. And your character is what's known as a Koldun or a Noah. So it's basically like you're a wise woman and you kind of serve as this mediator between the local villages 
and the world of demons and like other spirits and things like that. So the name of your character is um, Vasilisa or, or she's also called um, Vasya sometimes just for short. And she's basically a woman who decides to become a Khaldun after her partner uh, takes her own life, commits suicide. And as far as sort of the culture of the time is concerned with something like that, that's an act that basically means that he goes straight to hell. She decides to learn how to save him. And that's what leads her to become a Khaldun in the first place or a witch. Um, although there is some distinction between the two, but that's a bit of a detail that the game explores. Um so the way that you kind of do this and as it's, as it's sort of explained to you by your kind of mentor, old Igor, um, you do it by opening the seven seals on this ancient black book that he's in possession of. And that's given to you, yeah, by Igor. Um, and so you're basically trying to open these seven seals and, you know, complete Vasilisa's personal quest to save her lover. But what I think is really special about the game is that all of that kind of stuff sort of takes a back seat when you're basically just being called all around this region of Russia to help deal with different situations involving demons or what have you, there's like, you know, possessions, curses, condemned souls, haunted buildings, haunted bathhouses, um, more specifically. Um, so you're actually doing a lot even to help spirits or demons themselves. And Vasilisa's relationship to these things isn't always like negative. Like, like I said before, you're more of like a mediator, so you understand that these creatures are like, you know, they're facts of life. You can't just kill them all. You have to learn how to interact and manage them so that their evil doesn't become too toxic and concentrated. So there's actually this kind of interesting mechanic that crops up a couple of hours into the game where demons under your command, they're called um, Chorts here, which is their original Russian name. And this game has a lot of original Russian terminology that it likes to use in, in place of you know, kind of the more standardized fantasy terminology. So yeah, they're called shorts and you you can actually send them to wreak havoc out in the region rather than like causing issues for Vasilisa. Um, but you gain what's called sin points when you send them out. So you have to actually decide whether you want to like and ruin the crops or have negative buffs on you um, during combat encounters. And I just, I just find that to be a, a really interesting um, gameplay mechanic. Yeah, it, it sounds really heady and interesting. And I think what excites me a lot about what you're describing here is just the focus on like Eastern European folklore, which, you know, I feel like a handful of games have done that particularly, you know, I think of, you know, the the focus on Polish folklore and the Witcher as being such a intoxicating sort of world to kind of drip yourself into. How did you feel that this, this game sort of took you through into that world? I mean, it sounds fascinating so far. Yeah, I think what what the game does really well is that it does not it doesn't shy away it goes all in on this like it's not at no point is it trying to really relate it to any other kind of culture it's these people live in this world and it is all they know obviously and so therefore it is on the player to really kind of you know get enmeshed in it and understand the terms like you what one thing that the game does do, which I find really useful, and I was reminded of things like, you know, even like Crusader Kings, which did, did a really good job of this, is your ability to mouse over certain terms and have them, you know, basically explained to you with like a little text box. Um, but it doesn't do that for everything. And it doesn't, it actually, it's a bit inconsistent. It doesn't do it every time. So after a little while, you're kind of just expected to know what a short is or know what a banya is or like, you know, all these kinds of things. So it's it's the thing I think that makes the game really special and and the way that it so 
the way that it kind of enmeshes that commitment to the culture with this like visual vibe that that is really very simple but at the same time very evocative and very clean there's kind of like a cell shaded look to a lot of things all oh, the character models are pretty simple almost kind of cute in a way but the the way in which like when you're traveling from one location to another like you'll come what you're presented with is like a little map basically with pips on the map and you start at always you start at basically old Igor's house and you have to travel to say a village and there's spots along the way and you might learn about things that you should check out while you're going there and when you like pull up to say you know a grassy meadow what you're presented with like Vasilisa won't be on the screen you're just presented with this kind of flowing you know um you know nature scape with like trees and birds and things are kind of moving around and things like that and there's this narrator that comes in and he's like you have arrived at a grassy meadow the spruce branches part and an old mill stands before you this place is filled with legends and stories from the surrounding villages those who visited this place at dusk or worse at night speak of dark phantoms in the windows of the mill of sudden gusts of wind and other devilry it is what they call a bad place and it's it's just it's just like this very um it's it's almost like having this kind of like dm or dungeon master character who like comes in it's kind of like describes things to you in this really this really sort of um you know self-assured way and it really helps you buy into the world and buy into the journey that vasilisa is going on not even necessarily like the climactic parts of that journey but all the tiny little interactions like there's one where where like you're it's like oh you're walking along a road and you come across um there and like you met two travelers along the road and you're kind of like laughing and roughhousing around like having a good time with these guys and then one of them pushes you in a way that seems like not chill and you're right next to this like gorge that you could foreseeably be pushed into and then it asks you like how you want to respond to that none of this is happening on screen but something about the um the audio design of these spaces and the visuals really just, it doesn't make it feel stale and it doesn't make it feel lifeless. And you obviously make a choice in that instance and there's, there's certain outcomes, but um, yeah, it's, it's um, it does a really good job of kind of, of creating this world and crafting this world and, and just presenting it to you in a very kind of self-assured and confident way. Mm. What is gameplay like? <laughs> I know that there's a card battler in this, but I'm I'm so curious how like because card battlers are like such a vibe with me. I really enjoy them. Um, I feel like you've had mixed responses with card based battlers in the past, so I'm really keen to to see how you went with it in this one. Yeah, so ca- combat or or like a lot of the gameplay is these you know one off interactions that you kind of have where you have to choose your responses and kind of like choose your outcome, almost like a visual novel sort of thing. But um, the combat in the game is card based like you mentioned and basically in this though they're called pages as in like pages of the black book and so it's turn based and you're basically building what's called um zagovaras or uh, which is a russian cultural term for verbal folk magic <laughs> um which is a combination of cards that can deal damage and provide different buffs to either yourself or to enemies and the pages can interact and stack in pretty powerful ways so you can bless yourself to cause more damage but say the more black cards that you have in a Zagobar, 
um, will sort of um, multiply the effect of that and you can build all of those things up and that goes for things like, you know, um, damage over time spells that you can cause or, or defense spells on yourself. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the combat's like pretty solid and enjoyable and, you know, it's it's mostly, like I said, bust your, pers- uh, you know, possible defense or offense and um, pages can be basically either just like black or white. So uh, that, which, which just like determines basically whether that or not they affect each other. And I did come across a slight wrinkle in those kind of combat mechanics where sometimes you're presented with what's called um, like battle, uh, sorry, battle puzzles in which you are present, you are given a random selection of you, you actually, sorry, you're given a set selection of cards for that fight cards that you might not have even come across yet. And, um, and you have to base and there's like one solution to the fight and these fights can go on for like a long time they, and, or they can go on for such a short amount of time in that there is a, a timer on how many turns you're allowed to have until you just objectively lose the fight that you have to solve the puzzle in. So those can be pretty frustrating at times. I, I have to admit just because when it's presenting you with cards or pages that you have never seen before, you're both having to wrap your head around like what these new pages or cards are and how to use them and figure out what the the sequence of events that you need to make sure happen um, needs to be in order to, in order to like succeed in the fight essentially. So yeah, um, for me, combat did kind of, it's, it's, I do like it and it is good, but it's not the highlight of the game by any means it's this it's definitely the way that black book you know crafts the world and 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 steeps it in russian culture and and folklore that i think people if they give it a chance will absolutely love and i think that your reference to the witcher is while the game is basically different in myriad other ways what the witcher also did was yeah do a really good job of taking polish folk culture and transporting it into the world of um Geralt. And I think what Black Book does is just a really deft and not over the top, but very natural um, introduction of a lot of those things. So one thing I did just want to mention was um, the game is really interested in showing you the beliefs that would have been really prevalent at the time and how they would have impacted like day-to-day life in really detailed ways. So for instance, you know, when you're traveling from one location to another um, super early on in the game, Um, you get asked by this family to help them because it seems that their house has been overrun by like a spirit or a demon, but they don't know why, like they haven't, they don't feel like they've done anything wrong and they're not sure why this, you know, malevolent entity has shown up. And obviously there's like a fight there and the creature is tormenting them. But what's more interesting is the time that Black Book takes to let its characters discuss how exactly the demon got into the house. And you figure that out by consulting this little encyclopedia of stories and facts that you collect along your journey and that's referred to as a the these stories sorry are referred to as bailishkas and um what you do is you read through these stories and what the game expects you to do is to pick out oh they're mentioning one thing that this miller did in this story and that almost reminds me of what i'm looking at right now so maybe those two things are connected so for instance or for instance, the the concept of like a red corner, which is like a real thing that is uh, like a real historic um, ritual, which is basically a small shrine in a home that's placed at a right angle to a hearth or something like that. Um, 
so it's not just a matter of combat solving an encounter. You're also fulfilling Vasilisa's duties as a Noah and like reminding people of the power of rituals and things like that. And I think that that also goes a really long way to and like, you know, enmeshing you in the world and steeping you in it because you're having to actually engage with the stories and read them and understand them. And a logic starts to form. And, and when you start to look at the world in that way, it, it, it goes a long way to really making the world kind of breathe and, and feel alive. It sounds really, really interesting. Um, I think I'm going to have to give it a play. So that's, that's Black Book. And who's it by again? That's a developer called Morteshka. And it's uh, published, I believe, by uh, Hype Train Digital. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. So, Adam, as I understand it, you have been checking out The Ascent. What can you tell me about this little number? Yeah, so The Ascent is a brand new game by a Swedish game studio called Curve Digital. Um, they are a team of roughly 12 people with lots of background in, in former AAA games. Um, I imagine there was some kind of side development teams that worked with them throughout this project as well. Um, but essentially, it's a top-down isometric twin-stick shooter um, with a bit of action RPG in the mix as well in a very kind of heady, um, visually um, kind of rich cyberpunk universe. Um, and, you know, that... That has kind of been the initial draw card for me is that this is a very like stylistic game. Um, it is a game that is really playing homage to a lot of the visual aesthetic of, of cyberpunk that we think of from 80s films like Blade Runner for good or for worse. Um, and it also kind of narratively and I guess like world building wise really builds on kind of those expectations that you would have if you've read a book like Neuromancer. Yeah, that's interesting. So you talk a lot about, um, you know, and, and a lot of what I've seen about this game is the the art direction and like kind of the world that's been created. So what about that necessarily was so um, impressive or, or was it impressive to you? Did it take you for a ride at all? Yeah, I mean, like it's, I think the word gorgeous is an understatement sometimes with games. And I tend to try and not like get myself like, taken away by a game when it's really beautiful and kind of does a lot with bells and whistles etc but this game is probably one of the most stunning action rpgs i've ever played um in terms of like lighting um ray tracing the works everything just feels gorgeous and lived in or fully fleshed out there is like a density to like every screen that you walk through where there just feels there feels like there's so much stuff everywhere so this game I'm going to kind of go into narrative as well because it helps me kind of explain and contextualize the environments around you, which I think are so incredibly well designed. But essentially, you are an indent. Uh, you're a person, you're a sapiens, so you're a human, um, from somewhere in the galaxy that has taken on a contract to go to the planet Velez to work for a corporation called the Ascent Group. Um, and part of your contract is that you have been signed on for indentured labor. Essentially, you're a slave to this corporation until you fulfill your contract goals. Um, unfortunately, you find out that your contract goals are basically designed so that you will never fulfill them and you will forever be working for this corporation. And you're basically on the bottom rung of this society. So um, 
you start the game uh, going out on a basic maintenance job in the lowest area of a stack of towers, sort of like a complex area that the Ascent Group Corporation lives within. Um, And this area is called the Deep Stink. It is the bottom, bottom, bottom area of this like kind of sprawling metropolis. It is the sewage system. It is the waste system, but it's also like the power system of this place as well. And it is filled with grime and slime and just piles and piles of trash and rubbish everywhere that have been carefully placed. There's odd robots picking away within like massive tubes of cabling. Um, It's a very evocative kind of grimy space. And it, you know, this is a game that really likes to kind of fill spaces as well and really, really capture your eyes with them too. Um, So essentially you start in the bottom in this world and the ascent in both a narrative sense and in a design sense, has you traveling forward and upwards. You are forever going up. You are ascending in this world through uh, stature, through class, through contract for your employer, and through environments that you explore as well. And so how would you describe the, you know, like an average loop in the game? So you talk about starting the game off uh, in this, in the bottom and I imagine that's kind of like an opening, almost like a tutorial area that you then like emerge from into, say, like the game proper. What is it? What kind of structure does it take from there? This game does have a bit of a slow start, which is it's, it's kind of a bit of a frustrating thing. So basically, I guess the main loop is um, very similar to a lot of action RPGs. You're kind of going to be thrown into the world, fight a bunch of monsters, pick up a bunch of loot, return to town, sell it, pick up side quests, pick up your next narrative story beat, go back into the world fight more enemies, pick up more loot, level up, upgrade your character and your gear. And sort of classic, almost Diablo-style kind of gameplay, um, except that we're using a bit of twin-stick shooter sort of element. So if you ever played Supergiant Games Bastion and you, say, used the bow and arrow in that game, you would understand really quickly that, you know, right, right stick analog stick is going to be how you move and shift your aim around and you're going to be there's lots of guns basically in this game no melee weapons for the most part so you're constantly moving and shooting as you go you can kind of use some basic cover mechanics as well you can kind of crouch behind um just ambient cover in the world which is like just stray boxes and various other things and robot parts and cars and ships and pop out and shoot enemies as well and that becomes more and more a required strategy as you continue to level in this game and enemies start doing progressively more damage. Um, but yeah, that is the basic loop. It's an action RPG loop um, that, you know, is hit and miss at times, I have to be honest. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the leveling up and the kind of accumulation of power. What, what, what can you tell me about the the actual like RPG parts of the game? Does it kind of come good on those? Are they sort of window dressing a little bit? Like, how impactful on the on the actual experience do they feel to you? Look, mm, like it, it, this is a style over substance thing, I think, where I, I'm just so enamored by the actual visual world that they've built and the codex uh, in this game and some of the pieces of this environment that I don't know if those elements actually came together the way that I wanted them to. Um, so you have a bunch of main stats that you can assign points into whenever you level up that give you some incremental boosts. An example of that is one of them increases the speed at which you reload by a percentage amount, which can be very, very useful for um, sort of gameplay styles where you're, say, using a gun that needs to reload often like a shotgun, um, but might be less useful if you decide to pick up a pulse rifle. Um, you've got other stats which increase your health, which increase like your 
your kind of ability to kind of refresh the cooldown of your dodge roll, things like that, that like, I suppose you can start building an interesting, um, like, I guess, character archetype out of this, but I did find myself feeling like I wanted a bit more complexity or maybe some of that complexity explained a bit better. Um, there's multiple stats that all interlink together. So you have a body stat, for example, which dictates your HP, but that will also impact another stat called Motorix, which then uh, increases the passive scaling of certain abilities that you can slot in. And it's all just a little bit convoluted. They could have thrown away some of the three or four definitions for terms and just gone, it's all body, you know, and made things a lot more clear and simpler for people to follow, I think. Um, but at the same time, you can put this game down on easy, pick up the flamethrower and have a really good fun time and feel yourself getting lost in the quest and the stories. And I almost in some ways think that's a better way to play it. It's maybe what the game had in mind all along. It definitely doesn't look like it takes itself too seriously. But I did want to ask you as well, uh, just like as a cyberpunk world, as a cyberpunk story, we are now living in post cyberpunk 20, 2077 world um how do you think the ascent um positions itself or sits whether it likes it or not within the context of a game like cyberpunk 2077 or like other ones that you've mentioned you know in the past in relation to this so like cloudpunk or you know neuromancer or even some of the kind of classic you know um, blade runner adventure games where does the ascent sit within the context of all of those i think i mean like it's it's a very camp game i mean this is a game where you bump into an alien hacker who speaks to you with a perfect american accent and there's no way that that voice is coming out of that jaw um and he's in a hacker den where they're pumping out like some full-on dub and reggae and there's just like a smoke bong haze around him which i feel like is so neuromancer it hurts except it's a blue alien and not like jamaican uh hackers um you know so like the I guess it's a love letter to the genre, but I think what I'm enjoying a little bit more about it is um, it does have some interesting things it kind of wants to hint at saying. I don't think it fully explores it quite well, but, you know, this is a world where it feels like people are modifying their body or are getting cybernetics because their laborers and corporations are making them alter their bodies to fulfill basic functions and jobs in the society that they're in. Um, it's heavily implied that humans are seen as unintelligent, as weak, as frail, and as an insuperior species amongst the galactic civilization as you continue to play this game's narrative. So there's a combination of talking about class and race in this game that it's trying to start unpacking and exploring for you. I think the nature of corporations having entire like hierarchies and city systems built underneath them that are essentially run by indentured slaves where if a corporation falls over another enemy corporation can kind of come in and appropriate them as property has a lot of interesting kind of um implications and and, and things to think about here that you know at times while it does feel like the cyberpunk thing in this game is like a beautiful confectionery wrapper on a shooter isometric game, um, it does feel like there's been a f little bit of moments where someone has cared enough to ask some of the questions that I think cyberpunk games want to ask. I just, um, yeah, I think it's less shallow than it looks once you start digging into the codex. I'm like fascinated by this kind of law that they've built around a society where um, big corporations and big governments are essentially run by hyper advanced uh, uh, AI algorithms and, and machines, but only the most 
elite corporations and elite organizations can afford to build and run and maintain those AI algorithms that then dictate all of the decisions that they make, which is kind of very fascinating. Then you have like multiple different class systems of AIs in this world based on who can afford to interact with them. And then that governs where in society they dictate things changing. And so it's such a weird, strange system where corporations have a board, but the board is also reporting to an AGI, which is an advanced AI algorithm. And there's there's a lot to unpack there that I think is really fascinating and interesting. And I think about Cyberpunk 2077, and I feel like sometimes I would play that game and be like, you have a robot arm, but why? And I feel like the person's like, because it's Versace. And they haven't really thought much further than that. And it felt like so much of Cyberpunk 2077 was just like this afterthought of like, well, it's Cyberpunk. That's why you have a robot arm. And it's no, it's actually, it's like a question about class. It's about like working. It's about like labor. It's about body autonomy. It's about like transforming the body. And it's about like thinking of the body as completely, you know, free and and able to transform yourself into whatever you want to be. And I feel like that game never went there. And while the Ascent is not really trying or aiming to go there, which I think is to its benefit because I can cut it some slack, there are moments where I can feel hints of the people behind this game thinking about where they could go if they wanted to really do a serious game. But this is a camp shooter. It's very schlocky. You're playing an action game at heart. It's an 80s camp action game. It's a romp. And so would that be kind of, if you were to sell someone on this game, that's basically what you're telling them? This is a, you know a rompy isometric shooter doesn't take itself too seriously looks really pretty has you know a lot of cool environments and some half decent lore sitting in the background is that basically it pretty much but i also feel like the moment to moment gameplay is actually really visceral and really fun um the guns all feel quite kinetic they all feel really punchy um reloading them feels really good the gunfights are actually really fun in this game some of the powers that you can unlock Um, While there aren't a lot of them and the way that they recharge is quite slow, depending on your build, um, quite satisfying when you get to use them. Um, It can be really fun to kind of like unleash a chain of stasis events on people, which cause them to explode over the entire screen. There's a lot of fun that you can have with that. And I think that there is a multiplayer element here that is also very fun. And in terms of couch co-op or online co-op, that I think plays into how enjoyable the moment-to-moment gunplay in this game is. There's a few odd quirks here that don't quite work well, like side quests being gated by the main story, but you having no idea you can't progress them until you like walk up to the point where you're meant to go and it's blocked off. Stuff like that that feels a bit clunky, but that is like it's a small team and I'm blown away by what they've achieved based on the scope that they've aimed for. So um, yeah, I think if you like ARPGs, this is a very fun 15 to 20 hour game that you can have some relaxing, enjoyable co-op with some friends with. Um, and it's on Games Pass. It's the perfect Games Pass game. Um, if there's one complaint I have, it's that the character creator had very bad haircut options. Oh. Yeah. Video games can't do hair, man. Don't come to games for good hair. Developers, if you listen in, give me some better haircut options. There was like two or three haircuts that weren't long hair man buns or like that ridiculous kind of like very short on the sides, kind of longer on the top, kind of like gives me a little bit of like um, alt-right energy kind of haircut sure. that I'm not into. And it's like, come on, I want, I want better haircuts yeah. for my character. The bouffant fade or something. Yeah, do not like, do not like. No. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. 
visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So this has been mainstreamed by Pixelsift. It's what video games the Pixelsift team have been playing over the last couple of weeks. My name is Adam, and thanks for being part of episode number 27, Nicholas. Oh, my pleasure. And a big thank you to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream music theme. Nicholas, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they read your work? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm on Twitter at Nick Kennedy um, and a lot of my recent writing is on screenhub.com.au. Awesome. And I'm on Adam Christou on Twitter. That's it. There's there's nowhere else to, to find me other than Pixel Sift. Um, you can give us a follow on social media at Pixel Sift on Twitter or Instagram. You can join us and discuss your favorite games at Pixel Sift Discord as well. So why not go to pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord and join us there. We're sharing YouTube videos, recipes, various other things to just get us through the latest lockdown. I'm posting lots of screenshots of the the two games that I'm playing at the moment or whatever. No one is responding to them. You could. Um, that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash discord. And we've also got another podcast just called Pixel Sift, where we talk to game developers, creatives, and people who are just doing cool things in interactive media. So head over to your podcast player and type in Pixel Sift and give us a follow and you can get every single episode of Pixel Sift and Mainstream completely for free. And in true 2021 tradition, we have a website. Wow. Modern. <laughs> I know. Modern. Um, you can hit us up at pixelsift.com.au. We've got articles, pieces, videos, and more that you can check out there. We've got heaps more for you to check out on the website. So go there, pixelsift.com.au. Um, if you like what you heard, um why not tell a friend uh tell tell your best friend tell your partner tell your pets tell your dad tell your dad um let them know where you can find us that they can go to pixelsift.com.au to check out old episodes and if you like the show you can give us a review as well that's it for mainstream bye see ya Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator Hironobu Sakaguchi made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade and every level in the game is a handmade physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of apple arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism this offer is for new subscribers only nine dollars 99 a month after free trial plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled